In a world filled with information, where do you turn to get straight talk about retirement, investments, and your money? Lock it in to the longest-running financial talk show in Arkansas and let us help you build the bridge between information and application. Real financial change begins right here, and it starts with you. It's showtime! It's been a big week for economic news, so it is a great time to have LPL Chief Economist Jeffrey Roach on to get some insight. Plus, also on the show, making sure no matter what happens in the economy, your retirement income is set. This is the Get Ready for the Future show. Welcome in, everybody, and welcome to the Get Ready for the Future show. My name is Scott Inman, along with John Shrewsbury and Janet Walker. Talking today, got a couple of questions off the top to throw out there and then we'll address the answers to those questions a little later but what income streams do you have in retirement that will never run out and once you know how much guaranteed income you will have in retirement will that cover your basic expenses in retirement i think you have just uh, boiled down the essence of any retirement conversation that's ever been had I agree. Uh, that's that's really it. I mean, people have got to know that they can pay their bills in retirement. That's the scary thing about it because you no longer have a job. It, it is like you are trading a paycheck for something else that is going to sustain you throughout retirement. The big question is, how do you do that and how do you make sure it's enough? I feel like it's going to be really much like a Gen Wealth initial appointment today. Could be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Everybody wants to know about, uh, and when they come in for a Gen Wealth appointment, is what do you think about the economy? Yes. What, what's going to go out? What's what's happening here? And are we going to be able to make it through all of this? Yeah. So we're going to get into that first on the show. Joining us right now, in fact, from LPL Financial is Chief Economist Jeffrey Roach. Good morning, Jeffrey, and thank you for joining us. Well, good morning to you as well. We're uh, East Coast time zone, so it's already after lunch for me, <laughs> but uh, glad to be on the show today with you. Yeah, we are glad to have you. So since the last time you were on with us, I think it's safe to say the biggest economic concerns have not changed. Uh, the big talk is all about inflation and right along with it, rising interest rates. And we're going to talk about both today because it's been a big week as far as news goes from that. Uh, CPI came out earlier this week at 7.1%. Uh, year over year, even more importantly, I think only 0.1% month over month. Now, LPL's Outlook 2023 also came out recently, and I looked at that and saw the inflation outlook. So let's start there. LPL thinks we're going to see some cooling off for U.S. inflation. Talk about what the reasons for that. Yeah, that's right. So it's over the last several months, or maybe maybe this whole year, really, you could argue it's been about inflation and the Fed. Uh, so you know, the the uh, the dreaded words of transitory were talked about in 2021. And so 2022 has been about those two hot topics. And so you're exactly right. So we recently uh, published our outlook for 2023. Uh, a lot of the focus was on our expectations, uh, not just on the global economy, but we got a little bit more detailed on uh, on the inflation metrics. We do think inflation is cooling. And not just on the year-over-year metrics, but in the month-over-month -month, uh, time frame as well as you just highlighted. And that's, and that's because a number of things. One, a strong dollar is pulling down import prices for us. We also think that a rebalance between just plain old supply and demand gets back into that balance. And hence, you have the ability to see uh, prices moderate uh, from, from what we've seen over the last uh, year and a half. 
Jeffrey, the outlook is as fair for the United States as far as inflation is concerned, but there is a concern about global inflation. So what's the difference there and what's driving global inflation that it's more persistent than it is here in the United States? Well, that's right. So it, the U.S. has had a slightly different experience in, in, really this year. The central bank in our country started raising rates first before some of the other major central banks around the world. That's one factor in kind of the inflation dynamic. And I think another difference, if you want to just pick on the, you know, the top three or four countries in the globe, you have the U.S., you have China, you have Japan, you have Germany. Germany's up there in the top five. And I think you want to remember that Europe is going to have a lot stickier experience. So domestically, we're already talking about past peak inflation, right, that rollover. We are yet to wait and have that conversation about past peak or the rollover in Europe, particularly because of the energy complex we see over in Europe. That's creating uh, a bigger headwind uh, and still a, a, a nagging headwind. Even here we are sitting at the end of this year. We see that in Europe. We do not see those inflation headwinds in the U.S. Let me follow up on that. Does that portend potentially an advantage for U.S. manufacturing and, and consumer goods versus those that are made abroad uh, from a price competition standpoint? Are we going to see prices rise for import goods as opposed to those made domestically? Well, so there are winners and losers. I uh, remember that from your college econ days, right? There are winners and losers in, in policy and in economic uh, trajectory uh, and trends, particularly for the dollar, right? A strong dollar, uh, I think, will help. As you're referencing manufacturing in the U.S., a strong dollar has helped soften import prices. And at the same time, a strong dollar does add a little more pressure, particularly in emerging markets, uh, particularly those countries that have dollar-denominated debt they have to service, so uh, you're, you're exactly right to kind of go down that path. A strong dollar does help some of the domestic firms and a strong dollar will soften what we import and in essence, softening import prices for U.S. manufacturers. Let's talk a little bit about recession possibilities. Uh, several corporate CEOs have recently been ringing the recession bell as a certainty for 2023, uh, but most of them are in agreement that it should be a mild recession, and Outlook 2023 seems to echo that sentiment. So help us understand the impact of a mild recession versus a deep recession, Jeff. Yeah, that's great. So maybe what I can do to answer that question is I can take you behind the scenes as it were, with our 2023 publication. So basically what we were looking at was the fact that since the World War II era, the average recession is about 10 months long. And that's when, you know, typically something breaks. You think about the great financial crisis, you know, fundamental flaws in the credit markets. And if you remember back in the day, you know, collateralized debt obligations and some of those mortgage-backed security uh, risks that were bubbling over. In this environment, we don't have the same type of flawed or, or cracks, if you will, in those, those credit markets. So we think, if anything, a recession will be shorter than average, hence less than 10 months. So perhaps, you know, just the first half of next year. 
And then if you want to get back to the the conversation, well, what about the the depth, right? It's the depth and duration. We think the duration is going to be shorter than average. What about the depth? Well, given the fact that there's still a, a, a sizable pile of savings, the stock of savings is still significant, and the labor market is still a little better than when we go into other recessions. We think, again, going back to great financial crisis or even the double dips of the early 80s, we think a stronger or a more stable labor market will protect us from having a recession that ends up being on the deeper side. So hence, we have that shorter than average and less uh, more shallow than your average recession. LPL Chief Economist Jeffrey Roach is our guest today on the Get Ready for the Future show, or as he has told us, Dr. J is his name around the, the office. I kind of like that. Can you I dunk think, a basketball? That's the question. <laughs> well, well, so my, uh, my, uh, my vertical is a lot shorter than what it used to be, I'll say that. <laughs> we may go with that nickname, though. I kind of enjoy that. So uh, we, you mentioned there about savings, and, and I think it's been remarkable through the high inflation that we've had over the last year plus that consumer spending has kept up, right? They've been able to remarkably continue to really weather the storm of inflation. However, it, it's certainly taken a bite out of savings and credit card usage is on the rise. But you and the uh, LPL research team did release a chart last week that shows while credit cards are being used more, it's not anywhere near historically high levels. Can you talk a little bit about that and what it means for the health of the, the economy? Right. So that was my blog post on Thursday of last week. Uh, you're exactly right. And so, you know, at, at LPL Research, we do think of ourselves as risk managers. So we often think about, well, what could go wrong? <laughs> Where are we missing in our forecasts? Uh, we, you know, we certainly want to say, well, what could what could go right? Uh, the upside. Uh, but certainly we, we want to cover our bases and not have rose colored glasses. And I think there's two things to answer your question in regards to that, and that's and that's on the risk management side. One is watching that debt ratio, and that's basically goes to the point of how costly is it for your average household to service the debt, right? So that's referencing, you know, what at what cost are they borrowing debt? So when you think about just the the cost to service that debt, and we, we there's a couple different metrics: the financial obligations ratio or the debt service ratio, those are the, the, the terms that we look at. The point is we're not at the same type of leverage that we were, say, 10 years ago. So we're, we're basically saying let's wave you know, the, a yellow flag of caution. It's certainly not the red flag of high risk, and that's because we're not at the same level of leverage. However, that being said, I think we do need to be careful and, and be mindful. You know, when we talk to clients, talk to the those on the street you know those that are in the upper income have a very different uh, experience about inflation than those in lower income uh, inflation does hit the lower income households harder and so i think that's where that next step of saying all right well that leverage isn't too bad but where are the households what income quintile are they that are getting levered up uh, and we do. We, so at, at this point, we're we're in essence, we could almost say, well, let's revert back to our mid-year outlook that LPL Research published uh, in the summer of 2022. And it was all about that navigating the turbulence. Right. We had the picture of the airplane 
talking about volatility, talking about sticking a soft-ish landing. And and so far, the, the real-time economic data shows the slowdown. But, you know, the probability of the soft-ish landing, yes, it's getting smaller and smaller, but it, but it's not zero yet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in the, and leverage is certainly one of those variables that we're watching very closely. Doctor, I know you're a chief economist, but I'm going to drag you over in the investment world for just a little bit. And, and let's talk a little bit about the markets, because I think there's really two things that strike me. Number one, there's been this big divergence between the S&P down about 17 percent this year versus the Dow down about 7 percent this year. I'd like to talk about why that is. But also, I want you to, to talk a little bit about the fact that a recession doesn't necessarily mean or equate to a down market. Yes, that's great. And so I, I do have uh, several years in my uh, career history where I was portfolio manager, so very much in the weeds of uh, trading and allocation portfolio management. And and so I'll, I'll address your first question, the Dow versus the S&P, what, what gives? Well, I think the easiest way, if I were explaining it to, you know, the, the average uh, consumer on the street, you know, I'd say, look, the, the Dow doesn't have the same exposure to uh, – technology, right, communication services that the S&P 500 has. So if you look at where the S&P has really been hit hard, it's communication services. Uh, that, that's one, just to pick on one, one sector. And I think that's, that's explaining a lot of the divergence, if you will, where the Dow is just, you know, it's a very small fraction of what, what the overall market is. We actually prefer S&P 500 as an overall benchmark I actually like the Russell 3000, the big, the bigger picture of trying to drill into a little bit more. But I think that's that's kind of the part A to your question. Uh, the second question is, well, what about how do we think about markets as it relates to recession? I think it's really important to remember markets price it in expectations. So in many ways, you know, you can see after a recession has started, in many cases, markets start to recover even before the real economic data actually improves. And, and in some cases, you could, you could argue, in fact, I, this is my personal uh, argument, that the sell-off earlier this year was when the markets were, were wrestling with a number of things. One is, hey, we think the Fed's going to break something by over-tightening. Hence, you know, high volatility, a sell-off. Or second, we think it's not going to be a short, shallow recession. It's going to be a much deeper recession, hence a massive sell-off you know, earlier this year. And in essence, we think a lot of the risks have been priced in, and we know equity markets often uh, respond quite favorably when the Fed ends its tightening cycle. So you take that all together – and uh, it, it's hard to ignore the fact that 2023 could actually be a decent year overall for investors, even though the first half of the year has some headwinds if consumers uh, pull back spending. So the question will remain in the minds of many investors, okay, positive, negative, because they normally feel the mm. emotions of where we are at that point, regardless of where we think we may be going for 2023. And Jeffrey, we often tell our clients that it's not the economy, it's your economy that matters most. So these economic headwinds are usually short term, as you've just indicated. Uh, that's your perception at this point. And equity investments really should be 
for the long term. What can you share with our listeners about the outlook for 2023 that reminds us to be focused on the long term? Well, it harkens back to something I commented on earlier uh, in the show, and that is if you think about our experience and, and, you know, after decades of living in this economy, we remind ourselves that most of the time the economy is growing. It's it's basic, right? But it's kind of a profound statement. Most of the time, the economy is growing. And on average, since the 40s, the economy is in recession for 10 months. Uh, that's the average length. So I think that's, a, to put it very simply, put it in perspective, uh, you think about, you know, where, where we are in the cycle. And yes, we might feel the pressure in the near term. But I think it's, it's good to take that big, big step back and say most of the time, Yes, we're we're being creative. We're being productive. We're, uh, you know, buying and selling, making trades, doing something that actually provides uh, economic growth in the long term. And and markets respond favorably to that. Before we let you go, we do we don't want to ignore uh, the fact that the uh, Fed is expected to uh, raise interest rates again today as we record this on Wednesday. So if you're listening over the weekend or on podcast later, it will have already happened. But kind of review the expectations there. And you mentioned that markets re- typically respond favorably when the Fed uh, ends a tightening cycle. What's th- what's the best guess on when that will occur? Should the inflation continue to trend like it is? Well, that's right. So the Fed has been very aggressive four consecutive 75 basis point hikes. So that's three quarters of 1% back to back to back to back. We think that today it's going to be the first of this downshift in the pace of rate hikes. So the Fed will most likely hike by one half of a percent instead of three quarters of 1%. And the next time they meet, which is uh, early in Q1 next year, that there's a, a large chance that they actually downshift again to a 25 basis point hike or one quarter of 1% increase. And what what's happening is the Fed is realizing that we're in this inflection point. Inflation is still way above target, but it's moving in the right direction, right? It's easing or decelerating. And because monetary policy off, often operates with a with a lag, a lag time, meaning it takes time from a decision made at the central bank to when it actually shows up in the real economy. We think by uh, the early part of March, April, uh, the Fed could actually stop their hiking and just hold steady and watch. Uh, make sure that consumers uh, can handle those tighter financial conditions without the risk of uh, the Fed breaking something and the recession ends up being deeper than what we think is going to happen. Well, we certainly appreciate your time today. Uh, Thanks for joining us on the Get Ready for the Future show, and we look forward to having you on again very soon. Thank you. Take care. Good to see you, Jeff. That's Chief Economist Jeffrey Roach from LPL Financial. Some good stuff there. Uh, Before we move on, just kind of looking back at the uh, interview, you know, I tend to write notes when I hear something that really resonates with me personally, but also for clients, I think. because I'm, I'm an investor too, right? I mean, I, I listen for these things also. Uh, the average recession, less than 10 months. You know, I think that's important to point out. And if this is a mild recession in 2023, it should be, uh, very well could be 
a very short recession. And then he mentioned that the risks have likely been priced in on the market mm-hmm. side, right? That, yep. that That's important. Remember, we talk about it all the time, that the market is a forward-looking mechanism. They are looking at what is going to happen in the future, not necessarily what's happening right now. I think one of the things that stood out in that part of the conversation to me was what he said about the labor market, because we're seeing that as we look to expand the GenWealth team, um, as we're just talking with friends, you know, who are job hunting, they're getting multiple offers. There is, we've we've still got such a good labor market right now that I, I think it's a positive thing for what we would be looking at in terms of, as he said, the length and depth of the recession. Two quick thoughts. This too shall pass, whether it's good or bad. That's a good thing to think about is this too shall pass. Because if we're headed to a recession, it's not the end of the world. We've been through recessions before, we, we and it will be okay. And the other thing that he pointed out is that not necessarily uh, does a recession mean a negative market. Mm-hmm. I think that the market is already priced in a lot of the stuff that, that we could be about to go through, whatever that mm-hmm. may be. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we just don't get too emotional about this and listen to a lot of the negatives that are out there that, you know, basically have us falling off a complete cliff and never going to be the same again if you listen to some people then i think that the 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 upside of that is that you can actually have a strategic plan and have your retirement actually be very smooth regardless of whether there's a recession or not that's a great segue as we call it i tried that Mm -hmm. very good into because i think when i when when we talk about the economy and the ups and downs and it's always going to be uncertain I always go back to what I think I mentioned last week on the show, that, it, that it's a little easier for somebody in their 30s or 40s to tolerate that, right? It's pretty easy to think, okay, like he said, we're usually growing more than we're retracting, right? right? So if I just hang in there for the long run, as you should with equity investments, I should be okay. That's the mindset. But for retirees or pre-retirees, it gets a little shakier in their minds, right? Because What's the most common thing we hear about when it comes to volatile markets? I don't have time Mm -hmm. to recover. And that's what we're going to talk about now on the show. The plan that you have in place should really help your mindset there. And it starts with your guaranteed paycheck. What guaranteed income streams are you going to have in retirement that are going to be able to pay your bills that it won't matter what's happening in the economy or the markets. It's guaranteed to come. Scott, for most households, that guaranteed income stops after we list Social Security, and they're not going to have a pension at play. And so it's a very short list of these are the sources of income that our household has that we know is absolutely going to be there as long as we're breathing. So the question is, what do you have a need to, to add to that uh, guaranteed income source. So if you've got a couple of Social Security checks, maybe you have $4,000 coming in from that, just for round figures, maybe your need is 5000 Well, that means you have a gap that if you say, I have to have $5,000 a month, and we've just talked about inflation too, mm-hmm. I have to have $5,000 a month to cover the needs, then you have a gap and you have to have a plan to address that, John. I, I'm a very visual person. I, I love to, to draw when I'm talking about things. And so I want to throw up a graphic of our house because the house that we use in our presentations that is in your ready to retire process says it all. If you look at this house, there's kind of an ugly, not so attractive foundation under underground there. That really represents your required income amount because that foundation has to support your living. 
And that's what a foundation of a house does. It supports the living area of the house. And so what you want to be able to do is to balance the required needs that you have, food, clothing, transportation, shelter, taxes, insurance, the list is pretty long. And you've got to account for for income taxes on that because in most cases, people are dealing with qualified or pre-tax money. So you want to figure out what your expenses are and then be sure that you create income that is commensurate with those expenses or that actually meets or exceeds those expenses on an ongoing basis. And that's really what we're talking about today is that foundation part of your house of financial security. So if you think about that playing out in 2022, for instance, that required income need being set at a level that is going to cover all your bills in retirement. And, and I think it's safe to say even a basic life. Lifestyle. You, you're probably going to want to include some eating out money in there, right? I mean, yeah, you don't want to sure. just pay the bills and barely get by. But whatever a basic lifestyle is to you, whatever that number is, in 2022, if you had your Social Security coming in and you had that gap filled using a portion of your investments to provide a lifetime income stream, then all of this stuff we've talked about with Jeffrey Roach and all the market volatility, yes, your account balance is likely down. If you're in stocks and bonds, it's likely down. But it didn't matter when it comes to your income. And that's the mind mind shift, mindset shift that I think is still a struggle to take place for people who are walking up to retirement. They see their portfolio maybe take a 10 or 12 or 15% hit in the course of a year, and that's what they're focused on. They're not focused on the income. You know, I, I don't know that we've ever drawn this comparison, but uh, Scott, you talked about, you know, somebody in their 30s or 40s, it's easier for them to go through a time like this. Think about, even if you're a pre-retiree or you're in retirement, think about that difference for just a moment. If you were 45 years old and and the markets, you know, took a dive, your 401k took a dive, you look at it and go, we still got my paycheck for right now. We're good. We have this paycheck and I don't need that other money until I retire. Even when you're in retirement, it should look like that that you have when when the market, not if the market, but when the market has its time that it goes down and your investments go down, then you can look at your spouse and go, we still got our paychecks. We're good. Even though you're retired, you have that income coming in and the other assets that are being exposed to the downturn in the market, you don't need them immediately in retirement. That's for a little bit farther down the road. So let's talk about how we actually affect that, because as you said, Janet, if you take a look at someone's needs, their uh, guaranteed income source most likely is Social Security. And we all know that most people are going to have more need than they have Social Security income mm-hmm. coming in to meet those needs. So one of the f- things that we are uh, bound to do as fiduciaries is to sit down and look at what that need is and how to best fulfill it. Well, we know that those needs are going to continue throughout uh, the rest of your life in retirement. So it makes sense to us to match that up with some guaranteed income coming in to go alongside Social Security to actually account for those expenditures that you need to make on those needed uh, expenses. So we're going to do that by taking a look at the assets that you have and carving out a portion of that to dedicate to some type of guaranteed income vehicle that will pay that. Now, obviously, any type of annuity contract issued by an insurance company is only only as strong as the insurance company that is backing it. It's the uh, the financial integrity of that company. So we do a lot of research on that and be sure that we are placing assets with companies that can back up the guarantees that they have. 
I think it's also important that we look at that and go, okay, when you are dedicating those dollars to that type of instrument, it now becomes almost like a, I like to say it's like a milk cow. If you mm-hmm. buy a milk cow, what you're really primarily looking for is the milk. Mm-hmm. You're really not worried about what they're selling cows for back at the cattle market because you already got your cow. You're really mo- wanting to make sure that that milk keeps coming in because you have a, a continuous need for milk. The income coming from that investment is the milk. And as long as that income is coming in and it is guaranteed by the insurance company, then you have a pretty solid foundation Uh, on which you can build your retirement. Let me point out, too, how the plan dictates your need for an annuity or not a need for an annuity. I think so often people have preconceived notions about what an annuity is and whether it's good or bad, and that's usually based on the noise that is out there in the marketplace. A lot of people think everybody needs an annuity. A lot of people think nobody needs an annuity, and they're both wrong. Because some yeah. people may need an annuity, right? And it, and then the other question that I would ask is, which annuity are you talking about? Yeah. Because, yes. I mean, there's tons of them out there, and tons of them, there are probably not a need to be used. And, yeah. and lots of different types. Yeah. Uh, there, there are lots of different ways that an annuity can function, and then you get into the details of, okay, among that type of annuities, there's all these different companies who offer that one type. Right. And I think that uh, one of the things that is very, very important is that you work with a professional Mm -hmm. that understands all of the details of that. That professional knows the ins and outs of those various annuity contracts and things of that nature. And they're able to make a recommendation to you that is appropriate for your circumstances. Guys, I've seen lots of stuff in my 30-something years as an investment advisor. And one of the most horrid things that you can see is some annuity recommendation that had no context, no no implication for any benefit for the client. It was sold primarily to generate commission for the annuity salesperson. Now... That doesn't, you know, uh, nullify the validity of using an annuity no more than a car wreck nullifies the validity of using a car to get from point A to point B. Let's put that graphic back up again. We have just a few minutes left until our final thoughts. But we talked about the laying the foundation of the house, but we want to spend a couple of minutes on the interior of the house, the blue area there on the graphic, which is the living quarters of the home. It's where the memories are made. And in retirement, that's the fun part of retirement. It is what we call the desired income because we don't want to stop at just making sure your required income needs are met. That is the first step in laying the groundwork. So that's on solid ground. But then we begin to talk about your other assets and how they can generate income for you over the course of the rest of your life that you can use as discretionary income. We typically send that to our clients on a monthly basis. It is a monthly income that starts in year one and is built through the investment strategy to increase over time. Yeah, and that's really important in this day and time when you're staring at inflation that's mm-hmm. 7%. Uh, and you've got to have a way, and, and by the way, we don't think that inflation is going to continue at 7%, so you don't have to have a way to increase your income by 7% every year that rolls, inflation is going to average somewhere between 2 and 3%. We've had an anomaly of, of a pickup in inflation mm-hmm. primarily because of COVID and the response that the government had of throwing so much money into the economy. When you have too much money, chasing too few goods, that creates inflation. This too shall pass. We're beginning to see that wane now because inflation numbers are coming down. Otherwise, you're probably in pretty good shape by increasing your income by, on an average of 2 to 3% per year. That will allow you to keep pace with most of the inflationary things that you'll encounter 
throughout the rest of your life. So let's think about this and get the picture of what your income looks like with all these different areas that we've talked about. You have your required income that comes in to meet the absolute needs that you must cover on a regular basis. So that's going to include your Social Security income pensions if you have them. And if you had a gap between those income sources and your need, then it will also include an annuity to cover that gap. If you don't have a gap, you don't need the annuity. So that covers the required income. And then on top of that is this desired income that we're focused on now. The key to that, this is really important to understand, the key to that is that you don't look at it as one pool of money that is floating with the market up or down in whatever direction that the quote market happens to be going at any given point. That desired income is segmented based on when you're going to use it. So we're going to treat some of that very conservatively because you're going to use it in the first few years of retirement. And some of it will be more exposed to growth opportunities because you're going to need it later on. And John was not talking when the bell went. Yeah. When you you talk to a chief economist on the radio show, it kind of goes fast. It does. You've got to cram it all in. Yeah, time for our final thoughts. So Janet, I'll swing it right back to you. So I'm going to just circle back to the the buckets of money, if you will, over that time period. If you can get to a point where you have a written plan and you don't have to worry about what the market is doing, what the economy is doing, you can look at your market, your economy, what your investments are doing relative to when you need to access them. It's a completely different retirement experience. We talk on the show a lot about emotion, and I think that one of the things that really that I see out there in the in the public and the concern of the public with what's going on in the economy and the markets and what have you is the folks that are really racked up about that are the folks that don't have a plan. Hmm. The folks that have a plan Mm -hmm. really understand, okay, this is how I'm going to proceed through this. It might be a bumpy road. It might be a little bit rough water, but I know that I have a plan. I know the direction I'm going. I know that my basic income is being taken care of. I know that this too shall pass. And I think that's the real key to success in retirement. The plan is the thing. And if you don't have a plan, now is a great time to get one. We are offering half off of our financial planning services for the month of December. Now, here's the way that works. You just need to get it on the schedule. It can actually, the appointment can be in January, February, even next summer if it needs to be. But we need you to call in and book that or just text the word Mary, M-E-R-R-Y as in Merry Christmas, to 501-381-5228 to take advantage of our half-off financial planning services through the month of December. Well, we're out of time on the Get Ready for the Future show. Our thanks once again to LPL Chief Economist Jeffrey Roach for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's show and, most importantly, learned something. We'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building towards financial independence, leave us a rating and review. The Gen Wealth Financial Team is available to you 24 7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866 653 PLAN. 
That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.